Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Product Coalition podcast. I'm here in Sydney for this Sydney-based series. Um, welcome to Adrian Tan. Hello. Thank you for having me. And oh. Thank Pleasure. you for hosting me as well. <laughs> Pleasure. It's brilliant. Looking forward to today's topic. We're going to be chatting about the fog of product management and we'll see where that conversation takes us. I want to give a shout out to Adrian and the BrainMates team um, as the location sponsor for this Sydney-based uh, series. BrainMates is a product management training and consulting team based in Australia, New Zealand and Denver in USA. Find out more about BrainMates' three-day calls for product folks on the 9th of December in Denver at BrainMates.com. If you've just discovered discovered the Product Coalition, welcome. Uh, We're a global product management community that started out as a publication at productcoalition.com. We grew then into a Slack community of 5,000 product managers that's free to join and you can grab an invite at productcoalition.com. If you'd like to watch this podcast, you can see Adrian and I uh, on YouTube by searching Product Coalition. And um, we're 100% funded by community support. So if you'd like to support the podcast, the publication or the community, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash product co. Let's get stuck into it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks yes, for having me in Sydney. This is my home. For, for those watching or listening for all of the Sydney series, um, I'm at the BrainMates office here, which is lovely and cosy. It's your new office It's our well? new office. We've been here for about three months. Right? Yes. It's it's. it's Beautiful. Thank it's you. Awesome location. Oh, um, it's great. It's near the water. Sometimes when we're feeling a little bit tired, we go down to the water, buy an ice cream and feel like we're on holiday. Beautiful. Everyone needs an ice cream. <laughs> no one can be grumpy with an ice cream. Exactly. <laughs> you never, there's two things you can't be grumpy. Eating an ice cream and skipping. Uh, ah, try yes. being grumpy and skipping. It's, yes. it's almost impossible. I'm going to try that one. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm really excited for this session, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick off with a bit of a Sydney-themed pub quiz. Can I ask, are you Sydney born and bred? No. No, no I was born in Malaysia. Oh, many, right, okay. many, 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 many years ago. <laughs> and when did you come to Sydney? I... I was no I came to Sydney when I came to university so it was when I was 17 but right. I spent most of my childhood in Queensland on the Gold Coast all right beautiful yeah. nice okay all right well we're just going to be and ha- so how many years has Sydney been home oh gosh yeah, 30-odd years. Right, okay. Yeah, so all right, so all right this yeah. is going to be a good test then. Yeah. Let's see if you've been getting out and about over the years. All right. Um, so, Sculpture by the Sea. Yes, Bondi. Have you, have you been? Never. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's on the other side of the bridge. <laughs> so, I don't travel oh, there. Oh, right, okay. Yes. okay. There's the whole OTB thing. So, you come this side of the bridge for work? Yes. And then you never come this side of the bridge? Rarely do I go down to the eastern. Weddings and birthdays. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Dinner, you know, in a city, but going down to the beach, I'll do the northern beaches. Not the where the pommy backpackers like myself <laughs> might be. <laughs> okay, sculpture by the sea then, where you've never been. Um, now I have to my go. My question is, for how many years haven't you been there? So, when, when did it begin, sculpture by the sea? Oh, I'm going to say eight years ago? No. 96. No way. Yeah. Oh, wow. Pre-Olympic Games. See, this is the thing about social media, right? You only start to see things, you know, on your your feeds. Yeah. Because well, that's of social it, yeah. media. Otherwise, it's just really local. Yep. And Or the newspaper, traditional media. Or if you've got a passion for sandcastles. Yes. <laughs> In this instance, Sculpture by the Sea is sand sculptures by the sea? Uh, it's sculpture. Or is it actual physical no, sculptures? it's physical sculptures. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. 
right, along okay. the along the um, the water. F- you know, f- I think it does it go from Bondi to Coogee. I can't remember. Right, but there's okay. these beautiful art pieces. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, you need to do that. You see. I need to see it. Yeah, yeah. I played a tourist. Or, yeah, um, and get, get down there. You can't really do it in the UK. You know, we've got stone beaches. It's just be stones <laughs> <laughs> along the sea. Um, there's some by the sea, but there's some also just um, in the grassy areas. Just right. yeah. And, and Bondi um, is a bit of an artistic area as well. It's sort of from what I understand, or is it backpackers, which is what I remember? Oh, it mostly I think as. it's a mix. Of a mix, it's, yeah. a, it's a bit of a mix. Okay, uh, let's get into the next one. World ranking for size, so uh, for the fish market. Oh, it's massive there. So it's, it's obviously the largest in Australia, but where do you reckon it ranks in world rankings? In its current state, really low. <laughs> <laughs> there are lots of tourists, but I try not to go. <laughs> but they're redeveloping it. It is the other side of the bridge as well. Yeah, well, so I, no, it's not too reason. far. <laughs> it's only Bondi. <laughs> um, third, apparently. Oh. Third largest fish market in the world, which is pretty significant, yeah. I think, by global fish markets. Yeah. It's not that I've seen too many, to be honest. Uh, oldest street in Australia. Oh, somewhere by the rocks? I have a guess. Harrington? George Street. George Street. There you go, the yep. main arterial road, yeah. Yep. Which has the new light rail yes. down it now yep. as well. Yep. Um, and they're warning everybody today. to be careful and not walk in front of it. Don't yes. get run over. Don't get run over. See us Melbourne people, we're You're used to well it. familiar with yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, let's, um, let, let's get going. By firstly, please introduce yourself. Um, sure. Uh, I'm Adrienne. Um, I've been in product... For a very long time, since 2000, was my right. first product job. But I think I was doing product way before I got the official title. Um, I'm, uh, I started Brainmates 15 years ago. Um, I wanted to do product for all sorts of different types of companies and left my full-time job as a product manager for a company called Ofstar and they were right. pay TV providers. And my time there, I spent building out, you know, internet networks in regional rural Australia. I spent a lot of time building out television applications for them and then decided that I wanted a new adventure. Wow. Mm. And then I left my job with nothing to do. Fascinating, right? Yeah, uh, and I remember, I think I was on a bus um, and I get a call um, from my ex-manager at Ostar and he said, look, I know you've quit. Why don't you come and do a little bit of work on the side? And it was a great project because you could just focus all your attention on developing um, – it was called an electronic program guide. Right. Um, and so, you know, I got to do the research. I wasn't bogged down by day-to-day running off the other products. I didn't have to manage my team. Um, which I loved, but still, it, you know, you could really focus on trying to understand customer problems, doing the research, speaking to uh, call centre staff, and then starting to kind of design the product. Right, okay. Yeah, and that was in 2004. So from that point, then I thought, oh, look, I might have, you know, an opportunity to create a business, um, and it started from there. Fascinating. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. And w- was that your first client as That's well? So, yes, I was really lucky. That right. was my first client. Right. And, you know, they were a client until they were sold off to Foxtel. So I had them for a client for a very long time. Right. Um, and, and then I started to kind of cherry pick, well, who else might need some product help? 
Um, and it so happened that my second client um, was based in Paris and they were suppliers to um, all the TV companies out in this region, so Australia and New Zealand and Asia. And I did a lot of the kind of product marketing work for them. So, you know, making sure that their customers had the collateral, the value propositions correct, the pricing done um, in this region. Wow, okay. So that was my second client. And then it started to kind of grow from there. Nice, yeah. Nice. And from uh, I saw you open at leading the product. Leading yes. product for those listening around the world was is a conference, uh, Melbourne and Sydney. Yes. And how long has leading the product as a co- product conference been going for? Uh, so it's been going on for five years. Five years. Yeah. And I remember when you opened, you said about you, you started in your kitchen. I did. As well, I started my kitchen. I was staring at the wall, going, "Oh my god, what am I doing?" Um, it was, and and from there, I thought, well, you know, it's not sustainable being in the kitchen. So, do you cast your mind back to two thousand and four? Like there was, it was a very lonely existence in the kitchen. Um, and so I needed to kind of find friends. Um, and my first office, <laughs> you're going to love this one, was in a room full of massage, like in an office full of massage therapists. So oh, they really? weren't product people at all. And they right. were, they, they spent their time selling massages. Um, and here I was trying to do some product work in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can imagine though that there would have been challenges back then that it's it's great to have a product mindset, but being a business owner and having to make bank and picking up the phone and it creating business on a day-to-day basis, was that a new challenge for you as well? Oh my goodness, yes, yeah, yes. Right. I was um, a nervous Nelly. It, it's, it still is a challenge. Right. Um, you've got to do so many different things and... You know, you've got to go. You've got to be the marketer. You've got to be the salesperson. You've got to be the process person. You've got to be the cleaner. You've got to be the interior decorator. So you've got to, you know, you have a very multifaceted role. Um, and but one of the first pieces of advice that I got when I was starting my business, because I think product people generally don't sell naturally. You know, they're so focused on doing a good job. Um, understanding their customers, you know, defining their vision, doing all of those things and they, they put so much effort and time into it that we generally don't sell the things that we do. Um, and so that's my kind of DNA and selling any kind of service, any kind of product for myself was very difficult. Right. So, But I had um, someone tell me that if I don't sell it, then I starve. And I'm like, well, I don't want to starve. So what do I do? So then it, but it took me ten years to be comfortable even talking about the things that we offer. Right. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's yeah. completely different. Mindset completely different a way mindset. Of solving that problem. And so now I have, as a product person, a complete new appreciation for salespeople. Right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because it's a tough job. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> I can ask how's the the proposition of product management as a consulting and training firm changed over 15 years massively right massively uh you know we started off trading mainly on subject matter expertise so people didn't buy product management per se they bought my my knowledge and understanding of television of internet services um and so you know they wanted um support to augment their product teams but they didn't want that product mindset thinking, they wanted the subject matter knowledge about, you know, the product that we were working on. Right, okay. But it's only, so 
I think so. We've been in business for fifteen years. In the first ten years, it would be it has been it was a massive struggle um, to try and teach people about product management. And at leading the product, I said, well, you know, in two thousand and seven, when we're trying to educate the market, we had seven people turn up, and I thought, oh my god, that's so exciting to learn about product management. And um, now you can feel roomfuls of people wanting to learn about that. But so our business has shifted from augmenting teams because we had that subject matter knowledge to um, supporting businesses because we understand product management well. So now we go into any business and what we bring is our knowledge of frameworks, tools, processes, um, product team structures, um, product behaviours and mindset and we you know that experience that we've had we can then help companies shift and shape their their teams and hopefully lift their capability so it's very different what we sell then to what we sell now okay and is the the definition of product management changed over, over the same period as well when you think about the seven seven people in a room all those years ago to product management today can mean so much to so many different people in, in, and in across different industries as well. Was it more precise or was there more census back then or was it as no. ambiguous as what it is today? It's still a, it was ambiguous. It's still ambiguous now. That's never changed. And in my mind, I don't think product management um, as a function in a business or s- has essentially, their core function is to really create value for customers and deliver some sort of benefits to business, Um, whether it's financial or strategic value, um, you know, it depends on the business. That really hasn't changed. That's what we're meant to do. If we don't do that, um, then we're not doing our jobs as product people. How we do it has changed. So the tools and the techniques that we apply have changed tremendously over the last 15 years. And, you know, because of that kind of access to content, and, you know, access to communication tools, devices, we are now more skilled and well-versed at, at um, applying these tools and techniques. More refined. We're more refined, but we have access to it. Previously, yep. it would be hidden, um, you know, on someone's intranet in a book um, yep. on someone's desktop so you couldn't share information you didn't have it so you you know we didn't talk about it but I remember my very first product requirements document <laughs> um, and it was actually defining um, wholesale television right okay yeah and so the perspective we took was to you know apart from understanding who our, our users were and who our buyers were because we're always mindful of that, um, we also spend a lot of time defining the service from um, when a customer, you know, engaged to when a customer closed their account and everything else in between. So it wasn't just about the core product, which was TV. Um, it was the service around the product as well, which is well, what would their bill look like? And so we put a lot of definition around that. What would they receive when they called up? You know, do we service them 24 by 7 or do we service them 9 to 5? All of that was defined. Right. Fascinating. It was almost like, well, not almost. It was, and what we call today service design. 
Well, that's what I was going to say. Like that—that's it's those types of things. Truly understanding the context of how someone's consuming your product, for instance, and yep. their connections to human-centered design and service design. And so, f- for you, these were practices and patterns that you were adopting 10, 15 years ago. Yep. Way before the they became New York Times bestseller books and Absolutely. things like that. And so, when you see these, you know, you see these new kind of subjects pop up then you're like, well, we were doing that a long time ago. We just didn't really classify it as service design. Um, and you know, for us, it was making sure that ultimately that we were satisfying our customers. And we knew that when they had problems and they couldn't get help, that was when they were most unhappy. So a lot of work went into, well, how do we make sure that they're not unhappy? It was simple things. Right, okay. Maybe we've overcomplicated things. I don't know. <laughs> well, that, that's it. I suppose when there's, there's any opportunity to create, make something fashionable, yeah. such as leveraging a book that's selling very well and coin a term, um, mm. it will, will get adopted and then distributed in numerous different ways. Um, how, how have you found finding people w- who want to work in this space um, – and, and discovering where those people are. I think about 2004, was like MySpace was probably the, the only sort of social connection that people really had. Um, how have you found recruiting for, for people with the same mindset back then all the way through to now? What's changed? Um, so in our business, how do we recruit? Well, we, we recruited product managers um, that I had worked with. <laughs> so it's always through networks. Um, you know, in, in the 2000s, and we still do the same thing today. So we look for people that we know, we find people who have an interesting perspective, who look confident, um, happy to, you know, stand up and share opinions. Um, and in terms of our recruitment process, we we actually put them through um, a a team presentation so we bring them in so after several interviews and they appear to be um, a good fit then we bring them in we give them half an hour to go through a case study um, they read it and then they have to prepare essentially a presentation in half an hour so it's pretty brutal in half an hour with nerves with and nerves and then they have to present to the whole team right okay yeah okay. A nice big audience. Yes, nice big audience. Um, and so when you were doing your podcast earlier on, we had a guy who flew, we flew him from Melbourne to Sydney t- to, right, okay. to do this Brilliant. interview. And he did quite well. we'll Brilliant. See. Brilliant. <laughs> can, can I find, uh, why, why does that case study short form plus the group sort of response work for you? Uh, because we're often, so as consultants, we're often put in very tricky situations. Right. And so we are asked to respond and provide information very quickly. So people will say, I have this problem. Can you help me now? And so on your feet, you have to think very quickly. You have to call upon you know, your past experience, your training and learning, because we focus a lot on training our staff. And um, you have to focus on what tools you have available to you and you have to you know, help the customer solve their problem. Um, and in a the group, Dynamic means that you need to have confidence to, um, to back yourself, to stand up and to share, convey information um, confidently. And so that's why the group scenario works well for us. Brilliant. Okay, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I was going to in that same situation, do you get clients pick up the phone 
and actually they're giving you a problem that yes. they think is a product management problem that actually isn't a product management problem. Does it ever get com- confused or is there ever problems they bring to you that you think, actually, I don't know if we can help there. I don't know if we're the right fit for solving that type of problem. Um, yeah, so there are certain things that we don't do well. So things like if someone talks about pricing, for example, we we'll say, sorry, we don't have the internal expertise to help you with your pricing issue. Um, but most times people come to us by telling us the, I guess, the symptoms, um, you know, that they're not, um, then that there's friction in the team, um, their staff don't know how to do certain things, um, their product is not getting out the door. So they come with, you know, symptoms of, of the problem. Right. And so we have to diagnose that. Um, and, you know, just then I've, I've had the benefit of talking to all sorts of different clients today and some of them are come from, you know, are, are as far as way as Malaysia and, and Singapore. Um, and so as you kind of build up that, your information repository, you then start to think, is it is it a product problem? Right. It could be a delivery problem. Um, sometimes it's an engineering problem. So as you learn more, you start to try and think, well, is this something that I can solve? And if it's not, then we do recommend that they get an agile coach, that they get a delivery manager. Right. Okay. Fantastic. Can, can I ask it with, with regards to the symptoms, has there been common trends over the period of time, the, the, um, common problems that people have been coming to you with? Yes. <laughs> people come to us and they say, look, you know, we're kind of unique. And when they tell us their problems, it's almost like, well, not really. Everybody seems to have this problem. Right. Um, a lot of it is a people problem as opposed to a process product problem. Right. Sometimes we just don't know how to play well together. Um, there's always lots of frictions between roles and responsibility between different teams, you know. So people come to us and they um, often express that, you know, there's another group that's doing their work, you know, a UX person's doing their work when it should be a product manager. Um, sales are driving the roadmap. You think that would be solved by now, but it's not. Um, technology's driving the roadmap. There are three different roadmaps around, um, you know, product managers are order takers. Product managers don't have skills. Um, you know, our product's not performing. Competitors are coming into the market and we don't have the capability right. to be able to deliver um, some of these um, new products that we need to do. And often it's not just one problem, it's a combination of problems that lead them down this path. And it's, you know, the way that people behave. Um, it's the way that the systems are put together. So sometimes, you know, we, you know, c- companies merge, for example, um, and they've previously behaved in this way. Um, and then they take that kind of past behaviour and they play it out over and over again. Um, and so it's a combination of different things. There's no process in place. Um, so people then don't know what to do um, and they wait to be told. They right. wait to be led um, instead of, you know, leading the charge themselves. I, everything you've just said there is is perfect to to justify why it's, it is a fog of product management. There's, there's so many variables and so much I, I can imagine particularly for someone like yourself entering a business that you may not be aware of until you're within that company and yes 
you, yeah. you then learning either about more fog or you're getting more clarity on the on, on the problem as well. Yes, true, true. Um, and yeah, it's only when so you can spend a lot of time. You know, we do do lots of interviews. We try and unpick and uncover. Um, but you, we're very mindful that we get slices of information, right? So I get a different. Pers- I get one perspective from one group, another perspective from another group. I think. What we need to do, and it's not just us as consultants but us as product people, is that we need to um, immerse ourselves in the system that we exist in to see how it, um, how people navigate around it, what's occurring, how people transmit information, data, how, what exactly is happening, you know, what, the ebbs and flows. And so we, when we do go in and do some work, we, you know, I like to do a piece of work. I like to help you, you know, um, do some research. I like to help you put together um, your journey maps or I like to help put together a roadmap because only by doing that and only when you're kind of immersed in doing the work do you actually feel and appreciate the problems that are going on. So empathy building. Empathy building. um, Understanding context. Understanding context. Sort of using your tools of your trade but for your own benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, we, we attend stand-ups, we, uh, we run meetings um, and we listen and hear. And, and we are kind of um, immersed in it. And so we also sometimes exhibit some of these, oh, my God, I don't believe he said that kind of behaviour <laughs> because you're so involved. But then you step back and go, right, okay, I can see what's going on now. It's not a product problem, but it's the fact that we as an organise or, you know, some of our clients haven't organised for product to succeed, probably have an organised for, you know, technology to succeed as well. Okay. Um, quite often there's terms, and one that springs to mind particularly at the moment is, is being product-led, product-led organisations, and every organisation should now be product-led. Um, can I ask, well, what does that mean to you um, with empathy for an enterprise um, in mind. And what's so, product-led? Uh, so you're right. So, you know, the foggy product management, yep. that's another foggy term, yep. yeah? And I think it it's something that conjures all sorts of different things in people's minds. But for me, product-led means um, having a product team who is autonomous, accountable and responsible for identifying um, customer value um, and dry, and and turning, you know, creating products that deliver on that value. Okay. Um, rather than being torn from um, and pulled from pillar to post to try and satisfy the needs of every different kind of stakeholder group in the business, that's not product-led. Now, there are some, you know, negative connotations to the term product-led because it means that you're not thinking about your customers, but essentially Product-led means also being steeped deep in your customers' problems and making sure that you solve problems that are um, of significant size and of severe enough pain that someone's willing to kind of exchange some value for it. What are, what are common constraints that you would see around an organisation becoming product-led and how would, how would you address those types of constraints? Are they financial people process? I don't think it's financial. Um, and the reason why I say that is because it, you're product-led. You probably have, you know, you prob- the, the idea is to generate more revenue, right, as opposed to less revenue. Um, 
it's probably in terms of finances is about control you know who controls the money um, who controls the purse string um, and also the risk appetite and your risk profile right do you trust your product people enough to make decisions that ultimately will cost you money because you are spending money whether it's in you know t- resources or time or actual um, spend um, buying yep. services um, whether you trust your product people enough to make those decisions okay which is then comes to leadership mindset and what was your mindset as a yeah. set of executives but then also you might have people who have good good um, intentions um, uh, good healthy mindset but sometimes the system is so constrained that they can't apply those good yep. behaviors right so it's it's never just one thing you can't in my mind you can't just change one or two things and hope for the best you can change one or two things and sometimes people do kind of cycle through their product people they think look you know product team they're order takers they're not very strategic they do whatever else uh, you know they do whatever people tell them to do and they don't make decisions on their own they don't lead but then when you step back that might be the case but then you go to go well we don't have the systems in place because the last time they did that we slapped them we beat them and after a while they're not going to behave in the same way that we hope they'd behave can i ask is there is there a a a common experience that um let's let's say product leaders say we really need someone like brain mates or a consulting firm to come in and help us out and where you've repeatedly see that actually they could solve that problem themselves they, they didn't need us. Is, is there anything that springs to mind on that? They can solve any problem themselves without us, right? right. We're not a magic pill. The difference that we bring is that we have, um, we've seen it, this behaviour in many, many different companies. So we have um, experience, experience what they're experiencing, but not just in one area, but in multiple businesses. The other thing that we bring is that we bring independence a voice of reason. We could say the same thing as the person who works in the business, but that message, um, our message will be carried further and will be heard because people think, well, we are independent. So they're buying that independence. They're buying the experience, the knowledge of 20 years of practice and seeing what happens in business, and they're buying that independence. They're not buying anything else, right, because I know just as much as you do. Yep. Yeah, and that's something a company internally will never have. You can have the finance, the people, the process, but you won't have the independence. We could use the same tool, um, but people may believe me more if I present the same information using the same tool because they know that I'm not um, trying to get a pay rise, I'm not trying to help my mate out, I'm not doing any of those things. It's it's a weird So, So that's a perception of then you being a voice of authority. Is there... Some common things maybe that product leaders could do to appear more as a voice of authority as an yes. organisation without external help. Um, and what what are some of those types of things, do you think? Is it presentation style in meetings? Is it? Um, so product leaders firstly need to do stop doing some stuff. So right, okay. The saying no. That, yeah, well, no, saying um, stop doing past jobs. Okay. Yeah, so my... Um, view of how product leaders behave is that they get the job and they think great now I'm here to be a better product manager when in actual fact 
they're not there to be the product manager. They're there to be the leaders of product man, the leader of product managers, and that is a different job, and that requires people to do things differently. So you know, sometimes when I go in as a head of product, my job is not to make the product. My job is to um, make sure that there are no you know that there are no hurdles. Um, my job is to break down barriers. My job is to you know clear communication path. Do all those things um, instead of build product. And so product leaders need to remember that. They're not there to be the great product manager. They're there to be the leader and that requires something else that's different. This completely validates something that was said in one of the other Sydney podcasts, um, Anthony Murphy, who comes oh, from a military background. I love Anthony. Hi. Who talked um, I- exactly what you just said there and the analogy he used from military experience was you're not telling your troops to where to shoot and what to shoot. You're trying to manipulate the conditions to give them the best opportunity to succeed and with all the variables that are in play constantly. Absolutely. Um, and imagine if you had to tell everyone where to shoot, you would be running around frantic, frantically. And that's what's happening. People are running around frantically trying to um, be, the, you know, be the hero in every possible situation when actually they should be making their people the hero. And that means lots of coaching, lots of, you know, teaching, mentoring, and giving them the right kind of structures to succeed. difference there is not leading products as much, leading people a lot more. Absolutely. Brilliant. This has been great. Thanks. Thank you. We've flown through our time, by the way. I can keep talking, but (laughs) (laughs) let's stop. (laughs) No, it's a good excuse to do another one. Yes. (laughs) Let's do that. Thank you very much, Adrian. Pleasure. And thank you. Big, big thank you for everything you've done as well in the product community here in Australia um, and internationally as well. Um, it's great. And uh, and the conference I just experienced, leading product, was tremendous. Thank you. Thank you for having me as well here at, um, in Sydney, down near Darling Harbour. Um, we talked about Barangaroo uh, price per square metre earlier as one of the pub quiz questions. Oh, my it's goodness. $210,000 a square metre, apparently, which is pretty much your chair. So <laughs> <laughs> beautiful location to be. Thank you very much, everyone, for, for listening as well. I uh, hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Product Coalition podcast. I look forward to sharing another guest with you very soon. Thanks very much. Bye.